0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host here for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff, along with my Instagram live And uh, so anything you want to talk about, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're going to have some fun and maybe learn something. Maybe. Hope. Hope hope we learn something. Anyway, get a hold of me, 877-385-8882. Once again, toll-free, 877-385-8882. You can also join me here live on Pet Life Radio. You just go onto Pet Life Radio and you click on Shows and you can just join us here. There's a Zoom link left for you by Mark, our producer. And you can join me live here on Instagram. You're already live. Uh, Just anything you want to talk, just type it in. Make sure your audio is on. Make sure your video is on. And we can see you live on Pet Life Radio. And that's kind of what we want to do. And, of course, we have some questions. I'm Dr. Jeff Werber, and wearing a blue shirt. Apparently, someone commented asking, how many blue shirts do I have? Well, I have a lot, but no two are alike. I happen to like blue. Okay, first one. What is your opinion on CBD for pain in dogs? So... I am a fan of CBD. I've had my dogs on CBD in the past. One of my dogs, my past dog, Pierce, who had cancer, was on CBD. You know, in California, it's been very difficult for us. We can't really prescribe it. We can't sell products with it. Now there's something new that if the CBD is derived 100%, right, from industrial hemp, then it's okay. Um, of course, for you, for people, you can get it anywhere. So it's, it's kind of crazy. But there is a lot we don't know about it. So I would definitely check with your veterinarian. Uh, ask if your veterinarian has experience with it. If you have any questions, talk to a veterinarian in Colorado because they've been using it for the longest time. But you know, dosing is, is something to be concerned about. Uh, we we know what, what the LD50 is, a very toxic dose, but we don't know at what point do we start seeing toxicity. Typically, the toxicity anyway is because of the THC, not the actual CBD. So I found it to be effective for many things in many dogs. More research needs to be done, um, from on a grander scale, but check with your veter, As I said, try to find a veterinarian in Colorado who've been using it probably for a while and uh, to get the scoop. But I would give it a shot. Next one. Good question. A little, little sad. Why does hemangiosarcoma go unnoticed in dogs until it's too late? Well, you know, a couple of reasons. First of all, in many tumors, by the time they're noticed, they have to be either large enough to be seen, especially if they're inside in the body or affecting another organ, which can be then monitored. Uh the problem with the mandato sarcoma typically it starts in the spleen. The spleen itself is a sort of storage for red blood cells. Um it has immune function, which is good, but there are no enzymes necessarily that we can measure to determine the spleen. Now we can see it on ultrasound, we can see it on X ray. So I mean if we're lucky enough to have done an X ray for another reason and see a huge spleen, or doing an ultrasound and see this huge spleen, we may not notice until Unfortunately, it ruptures, starts bleeding, and then you could see the problem because they're they're bleeding into the abdomen, whether it's an a a hemangioma, which is a benign form of tumor, or a splenic hematoma, which is like a huge blood blister. If they rupture and bleed, then we start seeing dogs that are anemic, we see their bellies filling up with blood, well, with fluid, turns out to be blood, and then it becomes from something that might be elective to a major emergency. So um, it's sad, but... Uh, you know, oftentimes we're lucky enough to get it early enough to at least remove the spleen, stop the bleeding, uh, and then at least determine what the problem was. So um, anyway, it's a great question. And uh, it's just a sad thing that it's one of those tumors that until it ruptures or gets big enough or until you're lucky enough to have seen it beforehand, you may never know it's there. Next question. He says, my Frenchie, one year and three months, only has one testicle. Is it absolutely necessary to neuter? Well, let's first of all straighten one. He has two testicles one only one descended into the scrotum the other one is either in the flank or it is inside the abdomen if it's in the abdomen i mean first of all i recommend neutering anyway unless of course you have the very expensive breeding dog which you wouldn't want to breed if he is a monorchid, which means only has one testicle descended cryptorchid means neither one has descended they're both either in the flank or in the abdomen or any combination thereof more important to neuter a dog who has an abdominal testicle why because that testicle is is now exposed to body temperature, which in a dog is 100 to 102, 102 and a half, versus ambient temperature, which is what a testicle in the scrotum might be, because the scrotal wall is very thin, and so the temperature inside the scrotum is not as great or as high as the temperature within the body. So as these testicles, these non-descended testicles, are exposed to a hotter body temperature, they are more prone to developing cancer. So we absolutely recommend... Going in surgically, you have to find the testicle, remove them, both. Don't use the excuse, well, just remove one. you got to remove both because you don't want to use this dog for breeding anyway because it's a trait they can pass on. So non-descended testicles definitely should be removed. It would be dangerous to not remove them. And from a breeding perspective, it would not be wise or ethical to breed anyway. So my recommendation, get your pets neutered. And if it if there is a, a non-descended testicle, you've got to go in after it. So there you have it. Here we go. Another Frenchie question. Is it a good idea to add bone broth to my four-month-old Frenchie kibble? That's a new thing I'm, seeing, I'm hearing a lot about, bone broth. I think on the human side, it's also something that is, it has a lot of benefits. Personally, I haven't had experience with it, so I can't tell you for sure you want to do it. I can probably tell you it won't hurt. Uh, certainly, if it helps uh, with your dog eating the kibble because the, the added bone broth, then sure, it's a good idea. But it's something that I think there needs uh, to be more research done I uh, might talk to a veterinarian, might go online to find some more work on bone broth in dogs. But as I said, I do know that in people, that's becoming one of the hot topics. So check it out. And you know, instead of me always answering these questions, why don't you answer my question? And if you can find something out, you can let us know. My dog has been itching on side point already and it's on flea meds as well. Any advice? So first of all, in Cytopoint, as much as I love it, it's not the end-all, cure-all. Sometimes I've had to actually use Cytopoint along with Apoquil. And you know, really depending on the, the nature, the, the underlying cause of the allergy, and if it's a true allergy that follows the cascade of events that causes the itching, then they may not work at all. So for your classic allergy that, that is mediated by interleukin-31, 31, IL-31, 31, then yes, it should work. Uh, combinations sometimes in really bad cases. Now, understand a few other things, that a lot of times dogs that have these allergies are also have secondary infection. If you just treat the allergy, the cytopoint, and you treat the fleas, but not the secondary infection, they're still gonna scratch. Also, if there's some sort of contact irritant that's causing the scratching, then they're still gonna scratch. If there's a food allergy, you might not get the same benefit from the cytopoint and or apical or combination thereof. I've had some cases that we've had to resort to the good old-fashioned corticosteroids. I have a tough case I sent to a dermatologist. They put the dog in atopica cyclosporine. So I think that if you have something that is it should be working but not, I would uh, talk to a veterinarian and maybe also consider a uh, consult with a board-certified veterinary dermatologist and uh, also maybe some more diagnostics. There may be something else going on that is causing all this scratching. So um good luck with it and uh kind of if you could check back with us i'd love to know uh, what they find if you see a specialist. Okay, next up. Any tips for home dental care for dogs? Mine hates his toothbrush. So you know, interestingly, yes, there are a number of options. Of course, brushing the teeth is the best way to go. And if they don't like the toothbrush, first of all, I, I find a lot of dogs don't like when you go at them. So instead of, you know, opening the mouth and shoving the toothbrush at them, what I like to do is first get them used to the whole process. And I first start with a little bit of paste, the dog toothpaste uh, on your finger, and just kind of massage the gums. And I'll sometimes come from behind them. So you're going, instead of this way at them, come from behind the side and start rubbing around both sides. Then get them used to the taste and always... Always like to associate it with something good. So have, you have their favorite treat or do it just before their walk or just before a meal. So they know that when you're coming at them and they're going to get that toothpaste and the fingers and something in the mouth, they're going to get something good afterwards. And then from the finger, I graduate to the little finger brush. Most of the kids come with a little finger brush and you start doing the same thing. They have little bristles. They get used to it. They get used to the process. And once they've got that done, then you start with the toothbrush. The goal is go slow. And, you know, if you're starting as an adult dog and right away you're going to get the toothbrush out, they're not going to like it. you got to start from square one and, uh, as I said, go slow and gradually increase the length of time and and how aggressive you are. But always make the association with something positive. Now, other things other than brushing, there are some good water additives. There are some good doggy toys that they can play with that are good for the mouth, treats that are good for the teeth. So there are other things that you can do. There are even diets that are our dental diets. So speak to your veterinarian, of course, nothing replaces good brushing. And another thing that we found works really well, look for products that have sea kelp. Sea kelp has the active ingredient Ascophylum nodosum. And Ascophylum nodosum works really well to help cut down the amount and the speed of buildup of tartar in the mouths. So once you get your dog's teeth professionally clean, look for a product that has the C-cup in it, Norwegian C-cup, Japanese C-cup, whatever. It's really good. Ascophyllum nodosum, my daily dental care, uh, excuse my daily canine care um, does have the C-cup in it. So um, it really is a great additive and it's a great supplement to help at least cut down on the amount of tartar your dog builds up. Okay, last one. What has been your most difficult breed to work with? You know, I, I don't really have any particular breed. I mean, there's some dogs that are tough. We, we know they're tough. Uh, very aggressive. So uh, it, it, it doesn't really bother us. I mean, sometimes some of the toughest ones are the little dogs, like we, you know called. we used to call chihuahuas land sharks because they're so quick. You know, look, actually, I'd rather work with a very aggressive dog than a very aggressive cat. I mean, cats are, are, I mean, they can really get you. And they're so fast. And they're so much more limber. You can't use any kind of force on a cat. They're much better with their back legs. And their bites are much more dangerous. So I'd rather work on a tough dog than a really tough cat. But I guess, you know, it really is. We try to make the experience sort of enjoyable. It's amazing. I've been doing this for, what, 37, almost soon to be starting my 38th year next month. And I have have had very, very few incidents of of really bad bites or injuries. I have had no permanent injuries at all. My worst injury was when I was a five and my own Doberman got me by the face and had plastic surgery. But other than that, I've had, I'm, look, I've had some bites over the years, mostly my fault, but I, I would say that the vast majority of my patients across the board actually love coming into the vet. They love seeing us. So um, I don't want to label a breed. I mean, there, there are different things about different breeds uh, that have their problems, but a difficult breed, I'd say the most difficult cases uh, would be cases that are hard to solve uh, or that there's just no solution for. Uh, those are the ones that, that sort of get me the most. Well, anyway, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to uh, do some more uh, talking and anything else you want to talk about. If you have any questions, now's the time to ask them. And when we come back, I will chat with you and answer your questions. We'll consider them like my AMAs that I do every week. In fact, matter of fact, I have four more that I'm going to do today. So anyway, we'll be right back after these short messages. See you Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We <laughs> and welcome back. We're here live with Dr. Jeff, where we're here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best Dr. Jeff. And during the break, I got some really, really good questions from my Instagram audience, my friends. So here we are for this week's AMA's first one. How can I train my cat out of scratching the furniture? Uh, he's a one-year-old neutered male. Well, well, first of all, it's very natural for cats to scratch. You want to get them to positively enforce going to a scratching post. And you can start by putting a scratching post right in front of the furniture that he is currently scratching with some treats on it, maybe some catnip to attract him to the cat post. And give him a challenge. That could be if it uh, has different perches on it. You put treats on different parts of the perch. So as he goes higher and scratching, he will obviously get rewarded. So he's going to think the reward is coming from the post. Now you also want to make the furniture much less appetizing, if you will. So how do we make it less attractive? we we'll put some big, thick carpet, plastic runner over it. If they can't dig their nails into it, it's, it's just no fun. So you know that's one thing. You can also take <laughs> it's a little dirty trick. Take industrial strength double-sided tape, and you put it on the couch or the the piece of furniture. And when they get up there and they start scratching and their pets are sticking to this thing, they're not going to be very happy. If it's uncomfortable for them to do, they're going to stop doing it. Another trick I have, people freak out by it. It's really not that bad. So what you do, and uh, just listen to the whole thing before you panic. You take little mouse, not rat traps, mouse traps. You set it, but now you turn upside down and put a piece of paper over it. Like a, uh, just an eight and a half by ten, like a printer paper. Now, what happens is, when the cat will jump up on the furniture and start to scratching, inevitably it's gonna have to go on, on top of this paper. When it does, it's probably gonna, to release that trap. It's gonna snap shut, the papers are gonna flying up in the air, and he is not gonna like that, and therefore, after a few times of doing it, you won't even need to use the mouse trap, all you need to do is wherever you don't want the cat to go, just put a little piece of paper over it, and he's gonna say, "I'm not going there." So um these are some ways. So the two issues on that you try to do them simultaneously. One, make the current furniture less attractive. And put a scratching post and make that more attractive. Then what you can do is once they're really accustomed to that scratch post, you can move it several inches every day, you know, so, so it's not in, in the middle of your, you know, your living room floor. And uh, they'll know that's where they want to go. One thing you know, cats do like heights, so if you get a scratch post that has high perches on it, uh, that might be more enticing as well. Good luck with that one. Next up, AMA: Should I feed my cat dry food or wet food? You know, the one to answer that is your cat. Cats are not great water drinkers, and therefore, we do like some canned food. I I prefer mixed feeding. I do both for my cats. I usually start with some canned in the morning and then put some dry, and then throughout the day, they can sort of munch and and graze on some dry food. Now, I I see many cats that just don't like canned food, which surprises me because to me, it just seems more appetizing, and they like dry food. I do like giving some dry food. I think that, uh, by the way, just know that dry food sometimes is even higher in in, uh, calories, because there's a lot more filler and carbs in it than there may be in some canned food, which is more of the meat. But uh, uh, anyway, I really just like to see what the cat likes. And I have uh, five cats, and uh, they all seem to like both. As I said, they get their morning canned, and then the, in the uh, rest of the day or the evening, they munch on their dry, and uh, they do really well. I mean, again, it really depends on also how well your cat does on either the, the dry or the canned. If it's wet food and they do well and they have good poops and they have lots of energy and and their coats are nice and shiny, then that's good. And if they like, if they are the same with the dry food, that's good too. And um, so if they can handle it digestibly, if they seem to like it, they run to their food bowls, then you're doing something right. If you can, I like, as I said, to try the variety of mixing the two together in some form or another. So there's my answer. Okay, is chocolate safe for pets? The simple answer is no. It is a bit overrated, however, uh, because you know I've had people call me and my my dog ate an M and M, and they want to rush to emergency. So obviously, white chocolate is not real chocolate, so that's not a problem. Milk chocolate is the next; is the the least of a concern, And and also chocolates in baking products, like if they have a cookie, they have a chocolate cake. It's much more dilute at that point. As you get up to the semi sweet chocolate, that's more toxic. The pure chocolate is toxic. Cocoa powder is very toxic so you have to be aware of that if they get into just pure 100 percent pure cocoa powder that is a problem there are a number of websites if you uh search for chocolate toxicity where they give you a chocolate toxicity meter and you can easily figure out based on your pet's weight and what type and how much of the chocolate they ate whether it is a minor toxicity uh middle toxicity major toxicity rush to the emergency right away So I would recommend looking for that. As I said, a lot of times when I'm faced with a call, I go online, I I, I get the chocolate toxicity meter, and you can download it, and I can answer the question for a client. So the short answer is don't feed your pet's chocolate, and the long answer is there are certain grades of chocolate and amounts of chocolate that are obviously much more serious than others. But don't panic if your dog eats a chocolate a Hershey's Kiss. Don't panic if they have an M&M. Uh, or if they have a little bite of your chocolate chip cookie. But uh, if they do eat a lot of chocolate, uh, there will be a cause for concern. Talk to a veterinarian, uh, call Poison Control, or go online, get that the chocolate toxicity meter and see, do you need to worry? Or call someone on AirVet. You can always reach us on AirVet. You'll be talking to a vet real time, live, within one to three minutes. So maybe you should download the app and that'd be a great solution. Anyway, thanks for joining me. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.